part two custer's last battle of custer battlefield by robert m utley this librivox recording is in the public domain section two a road to little bighorn recipe for disaster road to the little bighorn the indians who wiped out custer were teton sioux and northern cheyennes seven separate tribes made up the teton sioux Unkpapa, Blackfoot, Oglala, Brule, Tukhetl, Sansark, and Miniconju. Once they had lived around the headwaters of the Mississippi River, but pressed by Chippewas armed with muskets obtained from white traders, they retreated in the late 18th century westward to the Missouri River and beyond. In turn, they pushed aside weaker tribes and finally overspread the plains cut by the valleys of the Yellowstone River and its major tributaries, the Powder, Tongue, and Bighorn. The Cheyennes followed a similar course, but migrated to the southwest and made their homes along the upper Platte River. Here they gradually split into two divisions. The southern Cheyennes generally lived on the high plains between the Platte and Arkansas rivers. The northern Cheyennes drifted northward to the country the Sioux now claimed. This land, so bounteous in buffalo and other resources that supported the Plains Indians' way of life, belonged to the Crow tribe. The Sioux swept aside the Crows, thus touching off generations of conflict between the two peoples. In this warfare, the northern Cheyennes allied themselves with the Sioux. Then another tide rolled westward, this one of white people. Like the Crows before them, the Tetons were confronted with a powerful threat to their territory and freedom. They felt the first tremors in the early 1860s, when gold discoveries in the mountains of Idaho and western Montana set off a rush to the new bonanzas gold seekers went up the missouri river on steamboats or set out in wagon trains overland to the mountains the indians resisted soldiers marched against them brigadier general alfred sully led an army of two thousand to the yellowstone in eighteen sixty four and major general patrick e connor threw three strong columns into the powder river country in eighteen sixty five Sully won a victory at Kildare Mountain, but Connor's army almost disintegrated when his supply system broke down. Recipe for Disaster The end of the Civil War in 1865 gave new momentum to the westward movement of white Americans. Workmen pushed the rails of the Union Pacific up the Platte River Valley to meet and join in 1869 with the Central Pacific beyond the Rocky Mountains. The Northern Pacific, built from St. Paul, Minnesota, aiming for Dakota Territory, and ultimately the Pacific Northwest. Steamers continued to ply the Missouri, carrying passengers and freight, to Fort Benton, the head of navigation, for the land journey to the gold mines. Along the railroad and steamboat routes, the little post-war regular army built forts and stationed troops to guard travelers and settlers. For the Tetons and their northern Cheyenne allies, the most serious menace loomed in the South. Beginning in 1866, emigrants increasingly looked to the Bozeman Trail as the best route to the Montana mines. Angling northwestward from the North Platte River, this route crossed the Powder, Tongue, and Bighorn Rivers, struck the Yellowstone on its upper reaches, and continued to Virginia City and other mining camps. 
piercing the sioux buffalo ranges as it did the trail infuriated the indians especially when soldiers came to protect it three guardian forts reno phil kearney and c f smith planted the army in the midst of the sioux country the tribes fought back cutting off travel on the trail and bottling up the troops in their rude forts the sioux had many fine leaders that year of eighteen sixty six but increasingly they gave allegiance to one who was not even a chief red cloud skilled in war and politics red cloud mobilized the teton tribes against the hated forts a mystical young warrior named crazy horse also rose to prominence he played a critical role in the conflict by leading a decoy party that enticed eighty-one soldiers and civilians out of fort phil kearney squarely into an ambush all perished the annihilation of captain william j fetterman and his command on december twenty one eighteen sixty six stunned the nation and prompted demands for vengeance even so red cloud won the war despite setbacks at the wagon box and hayfield fights in august eighteen sixty seven the indians effectively disrupted travel on the bozeman trail the government decided that the forts would have to be abandoned for the army it was a humiliating retreat but for the gold seekers it made little difference the rapid construction of the union pacific railroad made the montana mines more accessible by other routes the government formalized its surrender in the Fort Laramie Treaty of 1868. Maddeningly, Red Cloud refused to sign until the soldiers had actually pulled out of the forts, after which his warriors promptly rode in and laid them waste. Even then, the Oglala leader tarried to hunt buffalo before finally journeying down to Fort Laramie, almost six months after he had been expected to make his mark on the treaty the treaty of eighteen sixty eight laid the groundwork for endless trouble between the indians and the united states government the government's aim was to get the sioux together where they could be watched and controlled that meant setting aside a reservation and feeding them the treaty therefore established all of present south dakota west of the missouri river as the great sioux reservation in this sweep of plains the sioux would live while drawing rations and other provisions at agencies along the missouri river but the sioux had won the war and not all wished to become agency indians besides giving up the bozeman trail therefore the government agreed to an unceded territory free of whites stretching from the western boundary of the reservation to the summit of the bighorn mountains here in the powder river basin long the heart of the sioux domain the indians could continue to follow the buffalo most of the tetons some fifteen thousand succumbed to the lure of free rations and went to the reservation even red cloud after exasperating government officials with shifting demands finally gave in but neither he nor his equally powerful rival spotted tail chief of the brules wanted an agency on the missouri the Indian Bureau at last agreed to locations far up the White River across the reservation boundary in Nebraska and established Red Cloud and Spotted Tail agencies. Other agencies, chief among them Cheyenne River and Grand River, renamed Standing Rock in 1875, rose from the banks of the Missouri River to the east. Not all the Indians settled on the Great Sioux Reservation. 
a hard core of holdouts from three thousand sioux and four hundred cheyennes stubbornly resisted all overtures from the government they wanted nothing to do with white people or agencies or rations they preferred the old life of the chase and so long as the buffalo ran in the unceded territory they remained free to do so as they pleased the indians in the unceded territory followed their own tribal chiefs and noted warriors the hunkpapas for example boasted black moon four horns gall crow king and rain in the face the miniconjus lame deer and hump the sans arc black eagle and spotted eagle the blackfoot sioux a jumping bear later known as john grass and the oglalas the incomparable crazy horse since his success in luring captain fetterman into the fatal trap set by his people in eighteen sixty six crazy horse still the silent enigma of his early years had emerged as the most powerful of the non-treaty oglalas the northern cheyennes too closely allied to the sioux counted dynamic leaders among their own roving bands dull knife little wolf two moons dirty moccasins and lame white man above all the tribal leaders however towered a single chief of commanding influence sitting bull of the hunkpapas in early battles especially the fighting against general sully in eighteen sixty four sixty five he had made an outstanding record since then he had broadened his influence into spiritual and political realms rock-like dedication to traditional indian values and unwavering opposition to all relations with the white people ran deep in his make-up and fortified his dominance on his tribesmen at the agencies he heaped scorn you are fools to make yourselves slaves to a piece of fat bacon some hardtack and a little sugar and coffee all the teton and cheyenne roamers while honoring immediate tribal allegiances looked beyond them to the forceful personality superior intellect and personal magnetism of sitting bull in the eyes of indians and whites alike the powder river bands came more and more to be identified as sitting bull's people these roving bands were a source of vast annoyance to the u s government for they offered haven to the discontented agency indians in fact many sioux and cheyennes shuttled back and forth between the powder river country and the reservation enjoying the best of both worlds the free old life of the chase in the summer and the security and rations of the agency in the winter on the reservation these people created endless turmoil for they were unmanageable a menace to agency officials and a disruptive influence on their brethren who remained there year-round off the reservation to the west they did not always stay within the unceded territory sometimes war parties raided along the platte and among the montana settlements government authorities looked forward to the time when the unceded territory could be done away with none believed more ardently in the necessity of this move than the army's two senior officers general william tecumseh sherman and lieutenant general philip h sheridan sherman commanded the u s army and with seamed face grizzled red beard and caustic manner radiated absolute authority sheridan headquartered in chicago presided over the vast military division of the missouri which embraced the great plains from mexico to canada a short stocky combative irishman he too ruled with iron hand 
with ulysses s grant sherman and sheridan made up the trio of generals whom the nation credited with victory over the confederacy in the civil war now grant was president of the united states and his two lieutenants ran the army sherman who had helped to negotiate the treaty of eighteen sixty eight never thought of the unceded territory as sacrosanct i suppose we must concede the sioux the right to hunt from the black hills to the bighorn mountains he wrote to sheridan in eighteen seventy but the ultimate title is regarded as surrendered in fact sherman and other treaty commissioners had expected the problem to solve itself as the buffalo disappeared the indians would be left with no choice except to go to the reservation but this did not happen at once and white pressure on the sioux hunting grounds intensified faster than the buffalo diminished the first direct pressure came from the northern pacific railway which reached the missouri river in eighteen seventy three and pointed its line toward the yellowstone valley as he had with the union pacific sherman looked to this railroad as the army's strongest ally that northern pacific road is going to give you a great deal of trouble he warned sheridan in eighteen seventy two but the army ought to give every possible assistance he urged as it will help to bring the indian problem to its final solution military escorts accompanied railroad surveying parties into the yellowstone country during the summers of eighteen seventy one eighteen seventy two and eighteen seventy three although the treaty of eighteen sixty eight permitted railroads sitting bulls warriors in several armed clashes with the bluecoats made clear their attitude toward this intrusion into their country leading the cavalry component of the northern pacific expedition of eighteen seventy three was a bold young officer already a national celebrity lieutenant colonel george armstrong custer in life as later in death this dashing cavalier provoked controversy from associates he commanded either love or hate rarely indifference some saw him as reckless brutal egotistical selfish unprincipled and immature others looked upon him as upright sincere compassionate honorable tender and above all fearless in battle and brilliant in leading men to victory a mediocre student at west point custer had been commissioned a second lieutenant early in the civil war within two years at the age of twenty-three he donned the star of a brigadier general from gettysburg to appomattox the gold-bedecked boy general with long yellow hair and scarlet cravat led first the michigan cavalry brigade and then the third cavalry division from one triumph to another war's end found him at age twenty-five a major general and a national hero in eighteen sixty five after the great volunteer armies of the union went home the little post-war regular army could no longer support all the generals who had conquered the confederacy custer emerged from the war both as a major general of volunteers and a major general by brevet an honorary distinction in the regulars but his line grade had advanced only to captain with the reorganization of the regular army in eighteen sixty six however he won appointment as lieutenant-colonel of the newly formed seventh cavalry regiment ever since while the regiment's colonel remained on detached service custer had led the seventh in campaigns against the plains indians custer's most celebrated victory came during the war with the southern cheyennes of kansas and the indian territory 
on november twenty seventh eighteen sixty eight he launched a dawn attack on the sleeping camp of chief black kettle on the washita river the troops inflicted a crushing defeat on this group but had to withdraw hastily when warriors from other villages appeared on the scene the battle of the washita set off a lasting controversy humanitarians accused custer of slaughtering peaceable indians actually the chief was peaceable but his young warriors had just returned from a raid on kansas settlements within the army and within his own regiment custer was both criticized and defended for pulling out and leaving behind a small part of his force later found to have been wiped out custer and the seventh cavalry came to the northern plains in time to participate in the yellowstone expedition of eighteen seventy three that autumn the regiment took station at fort abraham lincoln a fine new post on the west bank of the missouri river across and downstream from the railhead town of bismarck many wives joined their husbands including elizabeth custer a vivacious beautiful woman utterly devoted to her mate she set the tone for a garrison life that was gay and briskly social custer had got his first taste of the northern indians in skirmishes with sitting bull's warriors on the yellowstone now he would figure conspicuously in the next chapter of the gathering conflict with the sioux sidebar centennial summer in eighteen seventy six the united states celebrated the centennial president ulysses s grant launched a seven-month birthday party on may ten in philadelphia where a century earlier delegates from the colonies had cut the ties from great britain in fairmont park in some two hundred gaudy buildings multitudes of visitors marveled at exhibits that recorded a hundred years of industrial and cultural progress the displays reflected the nation's mood dominated by the huge corliss steam engine the array of machines and other examples of industrial might captured the exuberant self-congratulation that animated americans at the onset of the gilded age they also exhibited a bizarre taste that produced such wonders as a liberty bell fashioned from tobacco plugs and a likeness of george washington made from the hair of venezuelan patriot simon bolivar on july third generals william t sherman and philip h sheridan joined thousands of other celebrants for festivities opening the nation's one hundredth birthday at midnight fireworks burst over flag-draped independence hall to illumine throngs of patriotic revelers later the generals toured the exposition on july sixth along with all of philadelphia they opened the morning newspapers to read garbled accounts of a military disaster on the western frontier questioned by reporters both generals ridiculed the news as a wild fantasy at this moment an aide handed sherman a telegram it confirmed the newspaper reports custer was dead sidebar red cloud when he signed the fort laramie treaty in november eighteen sixty eight this powerful oglala sioux chief became the only indian leader to win a war with the united states he promised to try to keep his people out of future conflicts with the whites but he had no control over younger warriors like sitting bull crazy horse and gall who resisted the u s government's uh, civilizing program under the provisions of the laramie treaty 
sidebar lieutenant general philip h sheridan commanding the division of the missouri admired custer's valor and dash but never entirely trusted his judgment neither did sheridan's boss general of the army william t sherman who thought custer very brave even to rashness and advised general terry to keep him on a tight rein during the eighteen seventy six sioux campaign after learning of custer's fate sheridan told sherman that he considered the whole affair an unnecessary sacrifice end of sidebars end of section two a